0: Chapter Seventeen of Opening a Chestnut Burr by Edward P. Rowe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter Seventeen: Promise or Die. While they were thus standing irresolute after the accident, suddenly a light glimmered upon them. It appeared to come from a house standing a little off from the road. "Shall I leave you here and go for assistance?" asked Walter. I think i would rather go with you dolly will stand and i do not wish to be left alone they soon found a grassy path leading to a small house from which the light shone but faintly through closely curtained windows they met no one nor were their footsteps heard till they knocked at the door a gruff voice said come in and a huge bulldog started up from near the fire with a savage growl they entered A middle-aged man, with his coat off, sat at work with his back toward them. He rose hastily and stared at them, with a strangely blended look of consternation and anger. "'Call off your dog,' said Gregory sharply. "'Down, bull,' said the man harshly, and the dog slunk growling into a corner, but with a watchful ugly gleam in his eyes. The man's expression was quite as sinister and threatening. "'Who are you, and what do you want?' he asked sternly. "'We want help,' said Gregory, with a quickened and apprehensive glance around, which at once revealed to him why their visit was so unwelcome. The man had been counterfeiting money, and the evidences of his guilt were only too apparent. "'We have lost our way, and our wagon is broken. I hope you have sufficient humanity to act the part of a neighbor.' "'Humanity to the devil,' said the man brutally. "'I am neighbor to no one. You have come here to pry into what is none of your business.' ''We have not,'' said Gregory eagerly. ''You will find our broken wagon in the road, but a little way from here.'' The man's eye was cold, hard, and now had a snake-like glitter as he looked at them askance with a gloomy scowl. He seemed thinking over the situation in which he found himself. Gregory, in his weak, exhausted state, and shaken somewhat by his fall, was nervous and apprehensive. Annie, though pale, stood firmly and quietly by slowly and hesitatingly as if deliberating as to the best course the man reached up to the shelf and took down a revolver saying with an evil boding look at them if i thought you had come as detectives you would have no chance to use your knowledge you sir i do not know but i think this lady is squire walton's daughter as it is you must both solemnly promise me before god that you will never reveal what you have seen here otherwise i have but one method of self-protection and he cocked his pistol let me tell you he added in a blood-curdling tone you are not the first ones i have silenced and mark this if you go away and break this promise i have confederates who will take vengeance on you and yours no need of any further threats said gregory with a shrug i promise as you say it is none of my business how much of the queer you make though naturally not a coward gregory in his habit of self-pleasing and of shunning all sources of annoyance would not have gone out of his way, under any circumstances, to bring a criminal to justice, and the thought of risking anything in this case did not occur to him. Why should they peril their lives for the good of the commonwealth? If he had been alone, and escaped without further trouble, he would have thought the matter afterward as of a crime recorded in the morning paper, with which he had no concern, except perhaps to scrutinize more sharply the currency he received. But with conscientious Annie it was very different, Her father was a magistrate of the right kind, who sincerely sought to do justice and protect the people in their rights. From almost daily conversation her mind had been impressed with the sacredness of the law. When she was inclined to induce her father to give a lighter sentence than he believed right, he had explained how the well-being, and indeed the very existence of society, depended upon the righteous enforcement of the law, and how true mercy lay in such enforcement, She had been made to feel that the responsibility for good order and morals rested on every one, and that to conceal a known crime was to share deeply in the guilt. She also was not skilled in that casuistry which would enable her to promise anything with mental reservations. The shock of their savage and threatening reception had been severe, but she was not at all inclined to be hysterical, and though her heart seemed to stand still with a chill of dread, which deepened every moment as she realized what would be exacted of her she seemed more self-possessed than gregory indeed in the sudden and awful emergencies of life woman's fortitude is often superior to man's and annie's faith was no decorous and conventional profession for sabbath uses but a constant and living reality she was like the maidens of martyr days who tremblingly but unhesitatingly died for conscience sake While there was no wavering of purpose, there was an agony of fear and sorrow, as, after the momentary confusion of mind caused by the suddenness of the occurrence, the terrible nature of the ordeal before her became evident. Through her father she had heard a vague rumor of this man before, though he lived so secluded and was so reticent, his somewhat mysterious movements had awakened suspicion, but his fierce dog and his own manner had kept all obtrusive curiosity at a distance now she saw her father's worst fears and surmises realized but the counterfeiter at first gave all his attention to her companion thinking that he would have little trouble with a timid girl and after gregory's ready promise looked searchingly at him for a moment and then said with a coarse scornful laugh no fear of you you will keep your skin whole you are a city chap and know enough of me and my tribe to be sure i can strike you there as well as here I can trust to your fears and don't wish to shed blood when it is unnecessary. And now this girl must make the same promise. Her father is a magistrate and I intend to have no posse of men up here after me to-morrow. I can make no such promise, said Annie in a low tone. "What!" exclaimed the man harshly and a savage growl from the dog made a kindred echo to his tone. Deathly pale but with firm bearing Annie said, "I cannot promise to shield crime by silence. I should be a partaker in your guilty secrets. Oh, for God's sake, promise, cried Gregory, in an agony of fear. But in justice it must be said that it was more for her than for himself. For God's sake I cannot promise. The man stepped menacingly toward her, and the great dog also advanced, unchecked, out of his corner. Young woman, he hissed in her ear, you must promise or die. I have sworn never to go to prison again if I wade knee-deep in blood. There came a rush of tears to Annie's eyes. Her bosom heaved convulsively a moment, and then she said, in a tone of agony, "'It is dreadful to die in such a way, but I cannot make the promise you ask. It would burden my conscience and blight my life. I will trust to God's mercy and do right, but think twice before you shed my innocent blood.' Gregory covered his face with his hands and groaned aloud. The man hesitated, he had evidently hoped by his threats to frighten her into compliance and her unexpected refusal while it half frenzied him with fear and anger made his course difficult to determine upon he was not quite hardened enough to slay the defenceless girl as she stood so bravely before him and the killing of her would also involve the putting of Gregory out of the way making a double murder that would be hard to conceal. He looked at the dog, and the thought occurred that by turning them out of doors, and leaving them to the brute's tender mercies, their silence might be effectually secured. It is hard to say what he would have done, left to his own fears and evil passions, but a moment after Annie had spoken the doors opened, and a woman entered with a pail of water, which she had just brought from a spring at some little distance from the house. "'What does this mean?' she asked, with a quick startled glance around it means mischief to all concerned said the man sullenly this is miss walton said the woman advancing yes exclaimed annie and she rushed forward and sobbed out save me from your husband he threatened to take my life my husband said the woman with intense bitterness turning toward the man do you hear that fight quiet your fears young lady do you remember the sick weary woman that you found one hot day last summer by the roadside "'I was faint, and it seemed to me that I was dying. "'I often wish to, but when it comes to the "'and I look over into the black gulf, I'm afraid.' "'But woman,' interrupted the man harshly. "'Be still,' she said, imperiously waving her hand. "'Don't rouse a devil you can't control.' "'Then turning to Annie, she continued. "'I was afraid, then. I was in agony of terror. "'I was so weak that I could scarcely do more "'than look appealingly to you and stretch out my hands.' most ladies would have said she's drunk and passed contemptuously on but you got out of your wagon and took my cold hand i whispered i'm sick for god's sake help me and you believed me and said i will help you for god's sake and your own then you went to the carriage and got some cordial which you said was for another sick person and gave me some and when i revived you half carried me and half lifted me into your nice covered little wagon that kept the burning sun off my head and you took me miles out of your way to a little house, which I falsely told you was my home. I heard that you afterward came to see me. You spoke kindly. When I could speak I said that I was not fit for you to touch, and you answered that Jesus Christ was glad to help touch any human creature, and that you were not better than he. Then you told me a little about him, but I was too sick to listen much. God knows I've got down about as low as any woman can. I dare not pray for myself, but since that day I've prayed for you. "'And mark what I say, Vite,' she added, her sad, weird manner changing to sudden fierceness. "'Not a hair of this lady's head shall be hurt.' "'But these two will go and blab on us,' said the man angrily. "'At least the girl will. She won't promise to keep her secret. I have no fears for the man. I can keep him quiet.' "'Why won't you promise?' asked the woman gently, but with surprise. "'Because I cannot,' said Annie earnestly though her voice was still broken by sobs. "'When we hide crime, we take part in it.' "'And you would rather die than do what you thought wrong?' "'It were better,' said Annie. "'Oh, that I had had such a spirit in the fatal past!' groaned the woman. "'But won't you protect me still?' exclaimed Annie, seizing her hand. "'It would kill my poor old father, too, if I should die.' i cannot burden my soul with your secrets but save me oh save me from so dreadful a death i have said it miss walton not a hair of your head shall be hurt what do you advise then madam asked the man satirically shall we invite mr walton and the sheriff up to-morrow to take a look at the room as it now stands i advise nothing said the woman harshly i only say in a way you can understand that not a hair of this girl's head shall be hurt "'Thank God! Oh, thank God!' murmured Annie, with a feeling of confidence and inexpressible relief, for there was that in the woman's bearing and tone which gave evidence of unusual power over her associate in crime. Then Annie added, still clinging to a hand unsanctified by the significant plain ring, "'I hope you will keep my companions safe from harm also.' During the scene between Annie and her strange protector, who was evidently a sad wreck of a beautiful and gifted woman, "'Gregory had sunk into a chair through weakness and shame "'and covered his face with his hands. "'The woman turned toward him with instinctive antipathy and asked, "'How is it, sir, that you have left a young girl "'to meet this danger alone? "'Gregory's white-drawn face turned scarlet as he answered, "'Because I am like you and this man here, "'and not like Miss Walton, who is an angel of truth and goodness.' "'Like us, indeed,' said she disdainfully. I don't know that you have proved us cowards yet and could you be as bad and mean enough to see this brave maiden slain before your eyes and go away in silence to save your own miserable self for aught i know i could answered he savagely i would like to see what mean horrible loathsome thing this hateful hated thing i call myself could not do gregory showed in a way fearful to witness What intense hostility and loathing a spirit naturally noble can feel toward itself when action and conscience are at war! Ah! said the woman bitterly, now you speak a language I know well. Why should I fear the judgment day? she added, with a gloomy light in her eyes, as if communing with herself. Nothing worse can be said of me than I will say now. But, she sneered, turning sharply to Gregory, I do not think I have fallen so low as you. Probably not he replied with a grim laugh, and a significant shrug which he had learned abroad. I will not dispute my bad preeminence. Come, bite, or whatever your name is, he continued, rising. Make up your mind quickly what you are going to do. I am a weak man, morally and physically. If you intend to shoot me, or let your dog make a meal of me, let us have it over as soon as possible. Since Miss Walton is safe, I am as well prepared now as I ever shall be." "'I entreat you,' pleaded Annie, still clinging to the woman. "'Don't let any harm come to him.' "'What is the use of touching him?' said the man gruffly. Then, turning to Gregory, he asked, "'Do you still promise not to use your knowledge against me? You might do me more harm in New York than here.' "'I have promised once, and that is enough,' said Gregory irritably. "'I keep my word for good or evil, though you can't know that, and are fools for trusting me.' "'I'll trust neither of you,' said the man with an oath. "'Here, Denise, I must talk with you alone. I'm willing to do anything that's reasonable, but I'm not going to prison again alive. Mark that!' with a still more fearful imprecation. "'Don't leave this room, or I won't answer for the consequences,' he said sternly to Gregory and Annie, at the same time looking significantly at the dog. Then he and the woman went into the back room, and there was an earnest and somewhat angry consultation gregory sat down and leaned his head on the table in a manner that showed that he had passed beyond despondency and fear into despairing indifference as to what became of him he felt that henceforth he must be simply odious to miss walton that she would only tolerate his presence as long as it was necessary veiling her contempt by more politeness in his shame and weakness he would almost rather die than meet her true honest eyes again annie had the courage of principle and firm resolve rather than that which is natural and physical the thought of sudden and violent death appalled her if her impulsive nature were excited like that of a soldier in battle she could forget danger if in her bed at home she were wasting with disease she would soon submit to the divine will with childlike trust but her whole being shrunk inexpressibly from violent and unnatural death never before did life seem so sweet never before was there so much to live for She could have been a martyr in any age and in a horrible form for conscience' sake, but she would have met her fate tremblingly, shrinkingly, and with intense longings for life. And yet, with all this instinctive dread, her trust in God and His promises would not fail. But instead of calmly standing erect on her faith and confronting destiny, it was her nature in such terrible emergencies to cling in loving and utter dependence and obey she therefore in no respect shared gregory's indifference but was keenly alive to the situation at first with her hand upon her heart to still its wild throbbings she listened intently and tried to catch the drift of the fateful conference within this being vain her eyes wandered hurriedly around the room standing thus she unconsciously completed a strange picture in that incongruous place with her dejected companion on one side and the great dog eyeing her savagely on the other gregory's despairing attitude impressed her deeply in a sudden rash of pity she felt that he was not as cowardly as he had seemed a woman with difficulty forgives this sin his harsh condemnation and evident detestation of himself impelled her generous nature instinctively to take the part of his weak and wronged spirit she had early been taught to pity rather than to condemn those who evil is destroying in all his depravity he did not repel her, for, though proud, he had no petty, shallow vanity, and the evident fact that he suffered so deeply disarmed her. Moreover, companionship and trouble, which she felt was partly her fault, drew her toward him, and stepping to his side she laid her hand on his shoulder and said gently, Cheer up, my friend. I understand you better than you do yourself. God will bring us safely through. He shrunk from her hand and said drearily, With better reason than yonder woman, I can say, I am not fit for you to touch. As for God, he has nothing to do with me. She answered kindly, I do not think that either of those things is true, but Mr. Gregory, what will they do to us? They will not dare. She was interrupted by the entrance of the strangely assorted couple into whose crime-stained hands they had so unexpectedly fallen. Both felt that but little trust could be placed in such perverted and passion-swept natures that they would be guided by their fears, impulses, and interests. Annie's main hope was in the hold she had on the woman's sympathies, but the latter, as she entered, wore a sullen and disappointed look, as if she had not been given her own way. Annie at once stepped to her side and again took her hand, as if she were her best hope of safety. It was evident that her confidence and unshrinking touch affected the poor creature deeply, and her hand closed over Annie's in a way that was reassuring i suppose you would scarcely like to trust yourself to me or my dog said the man with a grim laugh what's more i've no time to bother with you since my companion here feels she owes you something miss walton she can now repay you a hundredfold but follow her directions closely as you value your lives and he left the house with the dog soon after they heard in the forest what seemed the note of the whippoorwill repeated three times but it was so near and importunate that annie was startled and the woman's manner indicated that she was not listening to a bird. After a few moments she said gloomily, "'Miss Walton, I promised you should receive no harm, and I will keep my word, but I hoped I could send you directly home to-night, but that's impossible. I can do much with Vite, but not everything. He has sworn never to go to prison again alive, and none of our lives would be worth much if they stood in the way of his escape. We meant to leave this region before many months, for troublesome stories are getting around.' And now we must go at once i will take you to a place of safety from which you can return home to-morrow come but father will be wild with anxiety cried annie wringing her hands it is the best i can do said the woman sadly come we have no time to lose she put on a woolen hood and taking a long slender staff led the way out into the darkness they felt that there was nothing to do but follow which they did in silence they did not go back toward their broken wagon but continued down the wheel track whereon their accident had occurred suddenly the woman left this taking a path through the woods and after proceeding with difficulty some distance stopped and lighted a small lantern she had carried under her shawl even with the aid of this their progress was painful and precarious in the steeply descending rocky path which had so many intricate windings that both annie and gregory felt that they were indeed being led into a terra incognita annie was consumed with anxiety as to the issue of their strange adventure but believed confidence in her guide to be the wisest course gregory was too weary and indifferent to care for himself and stumbled on mechanically at last he said sullenly madam i can go no further i may as well die here as anywhere you must go she said sharply for my sake and miss walton's if not for your own besides it's not much further what i do to-night must be done rightly well then while there is breath left miss walton shall have the benefit of it may we not rest a few minutes asked annie i too am very tired yes before long at the place where you must pass the night the path soon came out in another wheel track which seemed to lead down a deep ravine Descending this a little way, they reached an opening in which was the dusky outline of a small house. Here we part, said their guide, taking Annie's hand, while Gregory sank exhausted on a rock near. The old woman and her son who live in that house will give you shelter, and to-morrow you must find your best way home. This seems poor return for your kindness, but it's in keeping with my miserable life, which is as dark and wild as the unknown flinty path we came." After all, things have turned out far better than they might have done. Fight was expecting someone, and so had the dog within doors. He would have torn you to pieces had he been without as usual. Lead this life no longer. Stay with us, and I will help you to better things, said Annie earnestly. The look of intense longing on the woman's face as the light of the flickering lantern fell on it would haunt Annie to her dying day. Oh, that I might, she groaned. Oh, that I might a more fearful bondage never cursed a human soul, and why can you not pleaded Annie, putting her hand on the trembling woman's shoulder? You have seen better days, you are meant for a good and noble life. you can't sin unfeelingly, then why sin at all? Break these chains, and by and by, peace in this life and heaven in the life to come will reward you. The woman sat down by the roadside, and for a moment her whole frame seemed convulsed with sobs. At last, she said brokenly, you plead as my good angel did before it left me, but it's no use, it's too late. I have indeed seen better days, pure happy days, and so has he. We once stood high in the respect of all, but he fell, and I fell in ways I can't explain. You cannot understand that as love binds with silken cords, so crime may bind with iron chains. No more, say no more, you only torment me she broke in harshly as annie was about to speak again you cannot understand how could you we love hate and fear each other at the same time and death only can part us but that may soon that may soon and she clenched her hands with a dark look but enough of this i have too much to do to tire myself this way you must go to that house i cannot old mrs tompkins and her son will give you shelter I don't wish them to get into trouble. There will be a close investigation into all this. I know what your father's disposition is, and now farewell. The only good thing about me is, I shall still pray for you, the only one who has ever treated me like a woman since— since—since I fell into hell, she said in a low, hoarse tone, and printing a passionate kiss on Annie's hand, she blew out her light and vanished in the darkness. It seemed to swallow her up and become a type of the mystery and fate that enshrouded the forlorn creature. Beyond the bare fact that she took the train the following morning with the man she called Vite, Annie never heard of her again. Still there was hope for the wretched wanderer. However dark and hidden her paths, the eyes of a merciful God ever followed her, and to that God Annie prayed often in her behalf. Note: This chapter has some historic basis the man called Vite is not altogether an imaginary character for a desperate and successful counterfeiter dwelt for a time among the mountains on the Hudson plying his nefarious trade it is said that he took life more than once to escape detection End of chapter seventeen